objective here is not to go out and cover the same amount of money that they were paying before. The objective here is to make sure that they get a scalable connection that can grow with their needs and you know provides them a reasonable baseline of expense uh, with all of the advantage, with all, all the abilities to take advantage of the technology. Hello there. Welcome again to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Not long ago, I visited with Rick Mervine, an alderman from Aurora, Illinois. We started looking at the community of Aurora last year and discovered that they have developed an interesting business model for their network, Onlight Aurora. They use both nonprofit and limited profit entities. Since Chris has been globetrotting quite a bit lately, it's my turn to take over the microphone. So this week, I decided to share some of the highlights of my conversation with Rick. The community realized in the early 2000s that there were a couple of reasons why publicly owned infrastructure was a good idea. So they started with a vision, came up with a plan, and then deployed their network. The network began serving municipal facilities in 2008, and then about a year and a half ago they branched out to work with community anchors and a few businesses. A key consideration has always been a long-term approach. Community leaders focus on the ability to develop a network that's scalable to serve far into the future. Here's a little bit of my conversation with Alderman Rick Mervine from Aurora, Illinois. So I'm talking today with Rick Mervine. He's an alderman in Aurora, Illinois, home of Onlight Aurora. Hi, Rick. How are you? How are you doing, Lisa? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Um, what were some of the reasons why Aurora decided to go ahead and invest in a fiber network? You know, the idea to do this didn't come from me. It came initially from uh, the mayor of the city of Aurora. Uh, his name is Tom Weisner. Had a, a, a very good understanding of um, you know, how telecommunications had been evolving over the years and had gone from just the regular POTS type service to, you know, voice over IP through uh, cables, uh, through cable services, and, and in our area, that's Comcast. Uh, and, and, and had a pretty good understanding of, of what was out there. The city also understood that uh, these services from the, the, the regular service providers were not evenly distributed throughout this community. This is a community of 200,000 and growing. And uh, it's know, roughly 47 uh, square miles. It's 35 miles from the city of Chicago. It's its own metropolitan area. And, you know, at the same time, it's also a very strong uh, and vibrant melting pot. And, uh, you know, it's on it's on the Fox River. It's, a, it's one of those, you know, industrial river communities that, uh, you know, manufacturing kind of moved away, and uh, or some of it did, not all of it. Um, you know, so the, the city has been reinventing itself and doing a very good job of that. But one of the issues was that the service providers were not providing service on a uniform basis throughout the city. Uh, you could get uh, cable service in some areas of the city, and you could you wouldn't be able to get it in others. So we have 17 established business parks in this in this city. You know, you have uh, you have substantial businesses that are moving in. They ask the question again, and they're well, who do we hook up? You know, for uh, you know for high speed broadband. You, know, you can get DSL or you can get DSL, uh, or you can sign up for a T1 line and get you know one and a half X. There was not a good, um, even, and forward looking service set up for the community. And the, city, the community set its sights on on making sure that economic development and making sure that jobs were available for, for everybody in the community 
um, you know, was it was a key entity that they were going to do. It was, it was the top thing that was going to happen. The city also looked at what its own at its own costs that it was paying for a lot of these services. As the CTO of the city says, you know, I had fast buildings, I had slow buildings. It was a mishmash of things trying to be able to get connectivity and trying to keep it up and running. And you've got, um, you know, a 911 system that dispatches for other communities, dispatches police and fire, and, you know, there are other government agencies that work out of our facilities, and Mm -hmm. that gets to be very problematic. And it was very obvious that there was no there was no impetus for for the, the regular ser- service providers to to provide these services. So the city took a look and took us and and determined that they could save an enormous amount of money if they cut these cords and went to an alternative alternative way to provide high speed broadband and in this particular case fiber. That number is just under a half a million dollars a year. I believe it's somewhere in the $480,000 a year that they could save annually, develop their own fairly comprehensive fiber optic network, connect all the buildings, connect the water towers, connect the, the all the water department facilities, connect the public safety facilities, connect the libraries, and make sure that the municipal needs were met. That was That was the initial... Basic thinking. How was the net, how was the original network funded? It was funded through bonding, general general, general obligation. So it was around 2006 the community began to develop a strategic plan. Why don't you describe the plan for us? So the first part of that was the municipality could on its own do this and save a substantial amount of money and do very well, and there would be a, a very good, roughly a 10 10 year return on investment on this this project. And at the same time, um, you know, understood that um, that they would have far more control over the um, the type of network and the security on the network, the redundancy of internet connectivity, and uh, the ability to be able to scale that network if it if it needed to. Well, the initial network was decided to be a 43 mile self-healing ring. When it was designed, it was designed to try to go near as many schools as possible. That was not going to be part of the first phase, but it was considered that there was a second phase to this. And the second phase was to be able to use the municipal network that would then be connected to all the municipal structures. That municipal network would also provide for a voice over IP phone system for the city, for the city municipal um, needs. Um, make make teleconferencing a lot easier. You know, a lot of all a lot of different advantages, and also to be able to control its availability as well. We've had some difficulties in the past. The municipal network um, not being available when it was when it was required. First phase was to get these buildings up and running, and it was roughly seven million dollars, a little over seven million dollars, to build this network. Now, as you were deploying, what methods did you use to prepare yourselves for the future expansion? It's all underground, okay? And it was built so that the network had uh, a lot of growth opportunity. So it was done in a, in, in a couple of different ways. There were three conduits put into the ground. One was filled with 144 fibers. And that was the initial fiber build. The other two were capped and empty and ready for expansion in the future. In addition, it was built as a 
partially DWDM network, the rest was CWDM. So the ability to be able to divide each fiber by the light spectrum and be able to carry 10 gig of, of network services over blue, okay, or red, or whatever the light spectrum was. So divide, dividing it um, in, into into the into with DWDM, you get to divide it into 40 different colors, and you essentially multiply the, the capacity of that fiber by 40 times. So um, it was a fairly substantial network. The cost of building a network is the first fiber in the first conduit getting in the ground. So adding more fiber to it, uh, and adding, even adding more conduit to it, uh, was the least cost of the entire process. Does Aurora have a dig once policy or an ordinance to, to help expand the network? It's actually not an ordinance because we determined that it was now so ingrained in the operations, in the administration and operations of the city because the mayor is still the mayor. The, uh, all of the departments know the value of the fiber and, the, and all of the departments look out for, uh, for all this. So all, every time we go through to rebuild a, a road, now, we ask that question, and we, we get an answer to that question. It says, do we want conduit in this road? Do we want conduit and fiber in this road now? What do we want? Or do we not want anything here? All the department heads see the value of asking that question, and we've pretty much found at this point we don't have to legislate for it because it's happening on an administrative basis. It's become part of the DNA, if you will, the municipality. But we talk about it as a big once concept, okay, that, um, you know, you want to be able to make sure that uh, you're not opening things up 12 times and you're not adding cost to everything. Every time we get a chance to go in and lay conduit in a road that's being rebuilt, it's less expensive to lay that conduit. So phase one was completed around 2008. What did phase two involve? What were the connectivity goals for the second phase? For the most part, it was effortless. And the city, the municipal network went from sketchy and unreliable to highly reliable and highly available mm -hmm. and very fast and scalable. Initially started with one supplier for the internet. Well, now there are two and we're headed for a third. So we're now what they call multi-homed. As part of this plan, there was always a second phase and the second phase was once you get the city, the municipal network up and running, uh, and you get VoIP up and running for the city municipal uh, buildings, then it's stable and there's no problems and everything else, then start to look at how to be able to take this network and make it available for the community anchor institutions and bring, value, bring further value to the community. Phase two was to go to the community anchor institutions, education, not just K through 12, but P through 20. In this, in this city, we have six school districts, a bunch of private schools, preschool, some of it school district fostered, some of it private. Uh, we're, the city is in four counties, so it has multiple options available from a community college point of view to be able to get higher education beyond high school. Uh, that also includes workforce development, aspects of things where um, you can train properly to be able to uh, fill the jobs that are, that are um, in the area that uh, you need to be trained for. 
community colleges are very attuned to that at this point. In addition, we also have four-year institutions here. Second was uh, healthcare, but we have a series of medical centers here. We also have a very vibrant um, arts and entertainment arena. We've got the 220-seat small intimate theater. Uh, we have a 1,900-seat uh, large uh, theater that is very active. We have a 10,000-seat outdoor music park on the river, on the riverfront. Now, it brings in major acts like B.B. King and Lady Annabelle and, and Peter Frampton and things like that, okay? So we've got a lot here, and all of that ended up with fiber. I understand you have somewhat of a hybrid business model that allows Onlight Aurora to serve both community anchor institutions and commercial customers. Could you tell us a little bit about that? The best way to do this was, in fact, the not-for-profit model. It'll be um, three years in January the not-for-profit was uh, put into place as Onlight Aurora. Um, and then that summer, uh, applied, uh, spring I believe it was, applied with the IRS for a 501c3. So part of the, the model here was to be able to go after grants to be able to make a lot of this work, uh, help fund some of the uh, some of the construction and things like that. And you know that remains the model today. The organization also realized that from an accounting point of view and a tax point of view, even as a not-for-profit, the more business you do with for-profit entities, so it's an economic development uh, concept here. So you're going to be connecting businesses, both existing businesses as part of the, the model to be able to retain business and help them expand and to attract new business coming into the community. But part of that, you're going to do business with a lot of, of, of for-profits as well. There were tax implications with that. And so the not-for-profit started a limited profit, what's called an L3C. It's a type of LLC, but it's an L3C. It was available at the time in only 10 states. The IRS had set this up as a way for um, to, to allow for limited profit expectations for social entrepreneurship. And that's what this entity was. It was a social entrepreneurship uh, entity. The L3C, Limited Profit Corporation, is a subsidiary of the not-for-profit. And we've been connecting the community, uh, the, the uh, entities to this uh, since, uh, since we started. So you've been providing service to community anchors and a few businesses. What's the general consensus? What are customers saying about Onlight Aurora? In some cases, we've gone in and they've said, well, you know, you're going to be our backup connection. We're less expensive than their primary one. We're scalable and their primary one is not. And um, we offer the ability to be have them be flexible. So with school districts, once or twice a year, they have big online testing needs where they spike. We don't care if they spike. We'll cover them. So we, we'll let them spike for a couple of weeks, and we'll cover them. But we, we, went from, we went from being their backup in some cases to a week or 10 days later, we get this call and say, uh, by the way, I think you're our primary now. And all they really wanted to do was find out for sure that we didn't go out. And in that time frame, their primary provider did. So it's kind of interesting we go from backup to primary in a heartbeat. How much money are you saving some of these customers that have switched to Online Aurora? 
that we're, we're finding that some of the, the uh, standard service providers were, were kind of all over the board with some of their costs. So in some cases, we may be saving them 10 or 20%, but in other cases, we're saving them 50 to 60% on the cost. You know, the intention here is uh, to be able to help them make this more mainstream in what they do and then so that they use the technology to grow and to provide jobs. For, for us, um, the objective here is not to go out and cover the same amount of money that they were paying before. The objective here is to make sure that they get a scalable connection that can grow with their needs and you know provides them a reasonable baseline of expense uh, with all of the advantage, all, all the abilities to take advantage of the technology. Yeah, we are saving all of our clients money. In some cases, um, that 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 saving comes from the fact that you know we might still be a backup or a secondary connection for some of them. But they didn't have that before because they didn't feel they could afford it. Let's talk a little bit about the way the network has brought grants into the community and how this is factored into Aurora's return on investment. If you take a look at um, the ROI for the initial city network, we figured it was 10 years, but you know we also believed we were going to be able to achieve, bring in some other grant money that had we not had the fiber, that would not have happened. To date, because we have the fiber, uh, we've brought in over $17 million of grants just because the fiber's in the ground. But, so we kind of figure between that and the savings we have already that we paid for this. We paid for this uh, network. Okay? So one of those was, was just about $15 million. It was a series of different, different uh, funding grants to be able to go through and upgrade the traffic light system in the, in the community. We've got 119 traffic lights or traffic intersect, traffic light intersections uh, to upgrade those and to synchronize them so people aren't just sitting there idling and they can, they can keep traffic moving. Uh, we've, we completed that this past spring. Everything can now be controlled remotely. Um, everything is, it's, it's, it's a wonderful system considering that we're also doing an enormous amount of road construction at this point where fiber, by the way, is going into the ground, uh, or, or conduits going into the ground. And, you know, it helps us to be able to, as lanes change and other things change, change traffic lights on a moment's notice. We also got a grant for our fire department and brought in a neighboring fire department with it as well. Uh, for just under a million dollars to um, provide a toll presence system on this fiber network. And all the fire stations are all connected to the fiber network. This toll presence system set it up so that uh, when, when, when our fire department, which is the second largest in the state and very active and very good at what they do, but they need to continuously train. And, you know, during the week, Monday through Friday, they train pretty much every day. And at any given time when you do training, you, you take out half of your stations, and the other half covers the rest of the city, which can be problematic. We don't like the response times in those situations. Mm -hmm. So now we use this telepresence unit so that they can literally train from their individual firehouses. I mean, things like that are added value that... You know, we never would have gotten that uh, traffic system. When they were initially, we were initially going to talk to them about doing something that was going to be very small. 
And one of our people mentioned that we had a fiber optic network, and they said, wait, 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 you have a fiber optic network? Showed them the map, showed them it went all over the city, and they said, well, then we don't have to spend a lot of money. We can kind of give you all of this without spending $50 million. We don't have to build a, a whole fiber network to do this. We can use this to connect and connect your whole city. We wouldn't have gotten that without the fiber network. Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing Aurora's story with us, Rick. We look forward to hearing more as you connect even more businesses and entities. My pleasure, Lisa. Thank you very much. Learn more about the network and the community at onlightaurora.com. We also have some stories about Aurora at muninetworks.org. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. This week, we want to thank Jesse Evans for the song, Is It Fire? Licensed Using Creative Commons. And thanks for listening. 